or on the web, www.citr.ca. Stay tuned now for The Jazz Show, coming right up, right now.
Well, it's definitely hard to believe that the month of May is almost over. And we're heading into the next month. <laughs> uh, hopefully, anyway. And, uh, yeah, time flies very quickly. You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9 or on the web, www.citr.ca. My name's Gavin Walker, and this is our final jazz feature for a gentleman whose birth name was Miles Dewey Davis. He celebrated his 90th birthday on the 26th of May, and of course, uh, Facebook uh, was just covered with all kinds of uh, tributes to Miles, photographs, uh, people posting music, uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, big anniversary for a, a man who uh, was one of the, I guess, really one of the superstars of, of jazz music and someone who not only influenced the direction of the music, but uh, when he hired musicians, they became a lot more famous after working with Miles Davis. Um, he was a star maker. And, of course, uh, all the other attributes to uh, Miles and uh, his genius a as an artist. And it's really too bad that the Don Cheadle movie, which I saw and absolutely loathed, didn't portray Miles in a very respectful manner and really didn't treat his artistry very well. Um, it was more Miles... Uh, as a faux gangster, and uh, it, it really wasn't, um, they missed the boat, uh, and, and I have a lot of respect for Don Cheadle, he's one of my favorite African-American actors, one of my favorite actors, period, never mind whether he's African-American or whatever, um, and, and, and a person I thought of um, uh, incredible integrity, but um, somehow he got waylaid in this movie, and it was a a, to me, it was a lost opportunity. And having um, met Miles uh, several times in my lifetime and uh, talked to him, uh, I, would, I would never have called him a, a friend, but at least uh, we always were on very good terms. And uh, he knew my name, and I knew his name. So um, the movie was not the Miles that I know, and I know people that were a lot closer to Miles Davis than me said exactly the same thing. So, regardless, Miles Davis's music is what is really important, and the legacy that he left um, for all of us to, uh, to try and uh, strive for, and uh, all the music that he left that is from so many genres— um, incredible musician. All right. And, of course, this, this evening is our last tribute to Miles because month of May this year, especially his 90th birthday anniversary, was really Miles Davis month. So we're taking you now to a band that I consider one of his great electric bands. This is a band that uh, performed in the early 70s. I heard this band in person, I think, three times, and I was totally blown away um, by the music. 
and the coherence of the music. From about uh, after the breakup of the first of the uh, second great quintet, uh, of which we heard a couple of uh, jazz features uh, of the of that band, um, Miles' bands after that were sometimes very good as bands, and sometimes they were kind of sprawling affairs uh, where the music was almost a funky kind of a, a, an electronic stew that uh, uh, was rather directionless until Miles played. And then when he played, somehow the, the band would cohere and get together, and, and uh, those would be the things that you really wanted to hear. Everything else, even though there were some great, great musicians in, in so many bands that he had right up to the end of his life, um, sometimes the bands weren't all that coherent. And uh, only when Miles played was that there was this kind of unified force. Everybody came together behind what Miles Davis was doing. Um, this band that we're going to hear this evening really was a very coherent and very tight band, even though the music had radically changed. Um, these performances were recorded at the tail end of 1970 in a, a live setting in a club in Washington, D.C. The club's name was The Cellar Door. And not a lot of this band's music reached um, Columbia Records. Uh, there were a there's a couple of performances on a, on a, a double album called Live Evil, and a couple of other performances on some other albums. But uh, there wasn't a great representation of this band, uh, except on a, a few badly recorded bootleg discs that that people uh, did and then put out. Um, but interestingly enough, in 2005, Columbia found the tapes from the cellar door engagement and put all of them out every night in a 6-CD deluxe box set. And um, it's called Miles Davis, The Cellar Door Sessions. And this finally was uh, a recorded uh, representation of this incredible band. As I said, I heard this band three times in person, and I was totally, I was totally knocked out by it. I was totally, um, completely Im impressed with the, as I said, the coherence and the band sound and just the unity of um, concept with this band. There was, uh, everyone was playing together. Everyone had a purpose in this band, and um, it, was, it was very strong. And even if Miles wasn't playing, the, um, the, the solos by the other musicians in the band also carried the band along. And um, so this is what made it uh, very important. Now, you have to put this in context. Miles had already made the complete crossover to more... Um, funky, rock-oriented, electronic music by this time. 
gone were the standards. Gone were the regular tunes that Miles always played. Gone were the Wayne Shorter tunes. Um, all the material was, was brand new. He had completely made the switch by this time. Uh, two great albums had come out, uh, both studio albums. One was In a Silent Way, which really was the step into the Miles Davis's new territory. And the second one was one of the best-selling jazz albums of all time, Miles Davis's uh, the double album Bitches Brew, which um, outsold anything that he had ever done before that, including the legendary Kind of Blue. Mind you, Kind of Blue now is, you know, is still selling very well, as a lot of Miles Davis's albums are. So... He had made the made the step into this new era. Uh, he had lost a lot of uh, uh, jazz fans who who said that Miles uh, was selling out. Miles was commercial. Um, Miles was uh, uh, bowing to the uh, um, you know the tastes of uh, rock and roll people. All this kind of stuff. None of it was really true. Miles was true to his own muse, and um, he simply wanted to make a change, and, uh, and did, and did it in a way that certainly wasn't commercial. Uh, it certainly wasn't bowing to anyone. Miles Davis never did that. He always did things on his own terms. We're going to get to the music. Recorded at the Cellar Door in Washington, D.C., the band. In the band, of course, Miles on trumpet, and uh, on alto saxophone and soprano saxophone, a very good friend of mine and a gentleman that I really hold in high regard, alto saxophonist, soprano saxophonist, Gary Bartz, who today, of course, is one of the living giants of jazz. Gary is still performing all the time and uh, is uh, really one of the, the, the most important voices of the, uh, of the alto saxophone. And, of course, he plays soprano saxophone on, on here as well, uh, with basically the same concept. On keyboards, playing the electric organ and the electric piano is none other than Keith Jarrett. Keith Jarrett, as most of us know, hates electric instruments, but he played them at the request of Miles Davis because he held Miles in such high esteem. And to play with Miles Davis, Miles wanted him to play these instruments, and Jarrett said absolutely, and he did. And uh, he delivers uh, um, a very interesting, um, very interesting concept on both of those uh, instruments. He plays the Fender Rhodes electric piano and the Fender electric organ. Now, Miles didn't want a jazz bass player with this new music. He had many of the best jazz. He had Ron Carter. He had Dave Holland. But somehow jazz bass players didn't really fit. What Miles wanted was a bass player who could hold the groove and get into the pocket and play a lot of really um, uh, repeated lines on the bass. Jazz bass players are not good at that. They get too busy, and they clutter the music up. And um, as good as they are, they get bored. And Miles didn't want that. 
So what he did was hire a young man by the name of Michael Henderson. Michael Henderson had played with a lot of uh, R&B and funk bands and also had played with the Jackson Five. That's who Miles hired, and he was the perfect bass player for this music because he lays that groove down. That's what this music requires. It's very busy on the top, and you have to have that bass just repeating those lines ad infinitum over and over again to keep the music coherent, and Michael Henderson was perfect for this and uh, a very, very fine bass player, really knew how to play in the pocket. And on drums, one of the most technically proficient and adventurous drummers in the history of jazz, who is still very much alive, functioning, playing, and uh, full of energy, the drummer here, Jack DeJunette. Jack DeJunette took Tony Williams' place in Miles' band and stayed with him for several years. So that's uh, the personnel of the band. And all of this stuff was um, recorded on December 16th, just before Christmas 1970, at this club. And we're going to hear the evening's uh, performance in a moment. And uh, the tunes, of course, are all segued together. Um, there's no, no breaks, uh, of course. And uh, we just get into the music, and it's almost like a like a symphony, like a Miles Davis symphony. We open with a piece of music by uh, Joe Zavanul, who was on the, um, one of the keyboard players on the Bitches Brew session. Uh, and, of course, Joe Zavanul is uh, 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 an idol and an influence in his own right. Anyway, he wrote the first tune. It's called Directions. The rest of the tunes are by Miles Davis. We go from Directions... Uh, as the beginning, and you can hear that the engineers are, are just getting the, uh, the sound straight, straightened out uh, <laughs> a little bit. But it, it's not distorted or anything, but the, the balance is a little off for the first, uh, first uh, minute or so of, uh, of this as the recording engineers are, are trying to get everything straight. So Directions is the first piece of music. That's followed by a long, lengthy, moody and exotic and really interesting piece of music that Miles wrote. Uh, and it's featured on his famous Jack Johnson al album. The, the piece of music is called Yester Now. And it's one of my favorite pieces from this period. Then we move things up. Uh, we get into some really high energy music after Yester Now with a Miles Davis, another Miles Davis composition called What I Say. And then we have an interlude on electric keyboards about five minutes of it, by Keith Jarrett, and he sets up the final piece of music, which is entitled Inamorata, written by Miles Davis. So that's the agenda. That's the music. We take you back to the Cellar Door, a very well-known jazz club in Washington, D.C., December 16, 1970, Miles Davis on trumpet, Gary Bartz on alto saxophone and soprano saxophone, Keith Jarrett on electric organ and electric piano, Michael Henderson on electric bass, and Jack DeJunette on drums. And we begin.
is going wild here. And there you have it, the complete set from the opening night at the Washington, D.C.'s legendary jazz club, The Cellar Door. And, of course, that was Miles Davis and his band, as they sounded, December 16th, 1970, and one of the, I guess, post-Bitches Brew bands, and one of the most coherent and um, really well-directed of Miles Davis's bands. Uh, and um, unfortunately, this band was not represented very well on uh, recordings. Uh, a couple of tracks on the Live Evil uh, album, double album, uh, that Columbia produced, and uh, a few other uh, short tracks here and there. But um, 2005, Columbia Records unearthed all of the performances done at the, this club, The Cellar Door, and issued them on a six-CD set every night. And so there's uh, complete uh, performances from each night uh, by this band, and uh, it's quite a musical adventure. And I thought we'd wrap up our Miles Davis tribute. We've had jazz features of Miles Davis's music uh, right from the start every Monday this month because it was the 90th anniversary of his birth. And uh, uh, I decided to uh, pick several um, recordings that represented um, directions that uh, Miles took over the years and recordings that uh, weren't necessarily uh, at the top of the list, like Kind of Blue or uh, Porgy and Bess or recordings like that, um, delved into a little more, not necessarily obscure recordings, but uh, recordings that seem to be a little bit overlooked, including this set. So, we heard Miles Davis on trumpet, Gary Bartz on alto saxophone and soprano saxophone, and we heard Keith Jarrett on uh, not only Fender electric organ, but Fender Rhodes electric piano. And, of course, this is the only time you're ever going to hear Keith Jarrett play those instruments because um, he basically doesn't like <laughs> electric instruments. He plays the, the acoustic piano, the grand piano. And... Um, Jarrett did this because this is what Miles Davis uh, requested, and this was um, the kind of sound that Miles wanted for his music. And Keith Jarrett was only too happy to uh, contribute to that. And, of course, Miles loved his playing. We heard Michael Henderson on electric bass, and he was the per perfect bass player for this style of music because it re it required a bass player to play completely in the pocket and get into the groove and just um, and just do it. A jazz bass player wouldn't have been able to, they would have been able to sustain that, of course, with, with tons of technique and, and facility, but they wouldn't have the mindset to play 
just a repeated vamp for a long, long time and just get into that pocket. And uh, Michael Henderson, of course, came from an R&B and funk um, background. Uh, he had played with the Jackson 5 and Sly and the Family Stone and, and, and different bands like that. So he was perfectly suited to what Miles Davis needed to make this music happen. And on drums, we had the incredible Jack DeJanette. So that was the basic uh, Miles Davis quintet. And um, on these further uh, um, recordings on the session, Miles brings in uh, Erto Moriera on percussion. And on the final night, John McLaughlin is added on guitar. But I, I like this early um, recording with just the, the, the quintet, so I thought I'd present it to you. The pieces of music were all segued together. We opened with uh, Joe Zavinel's Directions, which kicked off. And then we segued into the haunting and uh, mysterious-sounding Miles Davis composition that was featured on the uh, Jack Johnson album, uh, the uh, piece of music is called Yester Now. And then we move things to uh, a more energetic space with um, another Davis composition called What I Say. Then we segued into an improvisation um, on uh, electric piano and electric organ by Keith Jarrett, kind of an interlude before the final piece of music called Inamorata written, of course, uh, created by Miles Davis. So this has been our final tribute, and uh, we took Miles from his uh, one of his early recordings right up to uh, his move into more funk, rock, uh, and uh, electric music in the 1970s with this recording. We hope you enjoyed it. And... We shall return in a very few moments. Just like to remind you that you are listening to CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. And my name is Gavin Walker, and this is, of course, every Monday night, The Jazz Show. And we'll be back with some music by bassist Brandy Disterheft, who is from Vancouver. Now lives in New York, and I have a wonderful new recording with uh, Brandy's wonderful bass work on it. She's a very, very fine performer, and you'll be surprised who she's playing with on this recording. And we'll be back in a very few moments, right after these messages. Do you like Friends? Well, we like you, so become a member and get a Friends of CITR card. Not only does it make you special, but it gives you all kinds of deals with our friends on Main Street, including 10% off at Antisocial Skateboard Shop, Devil May Wear, Red Cat Records, Woo Vintage Clothing, and more. Visit citr.ca for more, or come check us out in the nest. Spoken. Radio Free Stein presents He Said It and White Wines, a concert staging of two plays by Gertrude Stein with music by Dorothy Chang and David Chokrun, June 4th and 5th at The Colch. He Said It is a distressed comedy about two women who recreate a man's monologue. White Wines is about a drunken dinner party and its aftermath. Ticket prices, $15 for adults and $10 for students and seniors. For more information on this project, please visit RadioFreeStein.com. Always Spoken. You're listening to CITR 
broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Hunkaminam-speaking Musqueam people. Brandy Disterheft is a very, very fine basis to moved on. She studied in, uh, in Toronto. She now has lived in New York for several years. Uh, she's the daughter of um, pianist, singer, vocalist, um, plays all kinds of keyboards, Fran Jarre. And uh, Fran, of course, is one of, uh, you know, she's been around Vancouver for a long time, but Brandy is her talented daughter. Brandy's a, a fine singer. She plays the cello, but she is an acoustic bass player par excellence. And uh, she's made a lot of friends in New York and a lot of associations. She's um, played with all kinds of uh, really great people. And she's got a brand-new album out where, um, called Blue Canvas. And it features Brandy on bass with none other than Harold Mayburn on piano, one of the all-time great jazz pianists, and Joe Farnsworth on drums. So she's surrounded by really great stars, and they are very happy to play with her. She performed with these guys at the uh, Montreal Festival, and uh, she decided to do this recording with them. And so we're going to hear three tunes from this uh, album, which uh, has just come out on the Just In Time label. And we're going to hear a, a great tune written by Bobby Timmons, which was a huge hit for Cannonball Adderley. And we're going to hear um, Brandy and Harold's and Joe's version of Bobby Timmons' great tune, This Here. Then we're going to move to a Harold Mayburn composition that he recorded with Lee Morgan when he was part of Lee Morgan's working band, and the tune is called The Beehive. And then we're going to play another tune, which was written by, actually written by uh, Richie Powell, and um, who was Bud Powell's brother when uh, Richie was a member of the Clifford Brown Max Roach Group, and the tune is called George's Dilemma. And uh, the George was, uh, it was actually dedicated to the bass player in the band, George Morrow. And uh, for whatever reason, some, <laughs> some sort of dilemma he was in, um, maybe playing all those fast tempos wore his fingers out. Anyway, George's Dilemma is the third tune. So three great tunes from this album featuring Brandy Disterheft on acoustic bass, Harold Mayburn on piano, and Joe Farnsworth on drums. And we begin with... This here, Bobby Timmons.
three tunes that featured Vancouver. She was from Vancouver. Bassist Brandy Disterheft, and uh, a very, very fine musician. She is heard here with an incredible all-star trio. Harold Mayburn on piano, the legendary 80-year-old piano master, and on drums, Joe Farnsworth. One of my all-time favorite drummers. And, of course, uh, they played a very, very successful uh, concert at the uh, Montreal Jazz Festival. Brandy's been living in New York City. As a matter of fact, she lives in Harlem. And um, uh, she has uh, established herself there, played with all kinds of very prominent musicians, and uh, recorded this album. It's just come out. Um, on Just In Time Records, which is a label out of um, Eastern Canada. And Brandy here is, um, we heard her on acoustic bass, but also on this album uh, she's heard on cello and uh, her very unique vocal stylings as well. But I played you three instrumental tracks because uh, she's just an incredible bass player and uh, an incredible musician and from Vancouver. And um, she studied at Cap College and then, uh, and then moved on to, uh, uh, she headed east, and, um, well, the rest is history. This album is called Blue Canvas, and it's just come out on Just In Time Records. And we heard three tunes, three classic tunes, really. The first one was Bobby Timmons' This Here, and the second tune was uh, Harold Mayburn's great tune that he wrote when he was part of Lee Morgan's band, Beehive, the Beehive. And then the final tune was actually written by pianist Richie Powell. And when Richie was a member of the Clifford Brown Max Roach Band, and he called the tune George's Dilemma. And uh, those three tunes are classic jazz tunes played beautifully by this band. Brandy Disterheft on bass, Harold Mayburn on piano, Joe Farnsworth on drums. We're going to come back after um, a message or two and uh, play you uh, a great piece of music by one of my all-time favorite alto saxophonists, the one and only Art Pepper. And uh, Art's music is very close to my heart, and of course, um, I knew Art quite well over the years as well, so we had a friendship uh, for many years as well, so there's that kind of closeness too. But uh, his playing is just, uh, to me... um, just so direct and emotional and all that kind of stuff. And uh, we'll be hearing some Art Pepper uh, very shortly. I'd just like to mention um, next week, I'm certainly hoping that uh, my good friend John Orsick will be able to make it. He's a very busy man with the festival and so on. And he has sometimes he has uh, these uh, terrible early morning commitments where he's got to be on TV at 7 o'clock in the morning and this sort of thing to talk about the Vancouver International Jazz Festival. But uh, we certainly um, hope and, uh, that he will make it so that we can have our annual Jazz Festival feature next week. Uh, that's the 6th of June, I believe, is the first uh, Monday in June. And um, John Orsick will be... He, we do this every year, and he essentially takes over the show. I am just kind of sit back and, and respond to um, the music that he plays, and uh, he talks about the jazz festival and all the things that are happening. It's a, it's a 
going to be quite a festival this year, a, a really, really wide variety of musical entertainment. So uh, uh, we hope that uh, all that can happen next week on The Jazz Show. Just like to remind you that uh, two great websites to get onto. One of them is the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society, the society that uh, um, creates the Jazz Festival. And, of course, they put on great gigs all throughout the year. And that website, coastaljazz.ca, will give you everything you need to know about this year's Jazz Festival. Also, all the events that are going on at Frankie's Jazz Club, which is located on Beatty Street. And, of course, it's become uh, the leading jazz club in Vancouver. And, of course, it's backed by the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society. And, of course, the programmer of that club is the redoubtable former owner of the cellar, Corey Weeds. And um, you know that Corey's going to bring in some great jazz. And you can find out all that information by getting on the uh, website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society, coastaljazz.ca. You can make reservations on there. And also... um, just peruse the uh, the website and make your plans for the Jazz Festival. There's all kinds of free stuff, as there is every year, and, um, of course, big-ticket items as well. So you can make your plans and set aside your time and all that, all that kind of stuff on this year's Jazz Festival. So check it out, coastaljazz.ca. And another fine website is Brian Nation's website, VancouverJazz.com, and that's a comprehensive website. There are all sorts of interesting links on there as well. And, uh, well, now that I mention it, my good friend Ken Speller, who is a wonderful music teacher, um, Ken has a business called Music at Home, and he will teach you, come to your house, and actually teach you how to play the saxophone, the flute, or the clarinet. And uh, he is an excellent teacher. He lived in Japan for many years, and he's a really, really fine musician as well. And uh, if you're into the market of purchasing uh, an instrument, uh, sometimes that can be difficult and tricky. Um, He can advise you on uh, what to do and uh, uh, how to spend whatever money is in your budget as well. But those of you that play, whether you're an amateur, professional, or a beginner, you play If you play the saxophone, the flute, or the clarinet, or all three instruments, maybe not at once, how many people are rolling Kirks, right? But uh, if you play those instruments, you know that they have to be maintained, and Ken is a fine repair person as well. Uh, he has his workshop right in his home, so he doesn't have a big overhead, and uh, he his prices for... Uh, Tweaking your instrument, getting it into shape, or even giving it a complete overhaul, are the prices are very, very reasonable because he doesn't have that store overhead. And um, he is a wonderful repair person. He can be reached at 778-800-1933 by phone, 778-800-1933. And uh, you can reach him by email as well, kspeller, K-S-P-E-L-L-E-R, underscore 14 at yahoo.ca, kspeller, underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. Now we'll be back in a very few seconds after these messages with some music by Art Pepper. 
You are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. And my name's Gavin Walker, and... For over 30 years, there has been one voice in the local Vancouver arts scene that has stood above the rest, and that's Discorder, that conspiracy, punk rock, foxcore, sassy, still-publishing magazine from CITR. We're one of the established and trusted voices of Vancouver's music and arts culture in the Lower Mainland, with 8,000 copies distributed monthly to over 135 distribution locations, from the Lido to Zulu Records. Discorder is one of a few magazines published by a community radio station, and we only serve up the freshest local and Canadian goods. We have interviews with artists, album reviews, live show reviews, and articles about everything important to our crazy, unique, varied, and amazing culture in Vancouver and across the country. Pick up your free copy of Discorder today, or sign up to have it delivered to your door wherever you are. Check out our website for distribution locations and all the information about advertising and getting involved with Discorder. Are you interested in Indigenous issues? Do you get ticked off with ongoing colonization? Do you have something to say? Or do you want to learn more? We have just the thing. Join UBC's first ever Indigenous Radio Collective at CITR Radio Unceded Musqueam Territories. Our show, Unceded Airwaves, airs every Monday from 11 to 12 and we meet from 12 to 1 to plan our upcoming shows. We're interested in content covering various things from film to literature, current day politics, history, whatever you want to talk about, we're into it. Everyone welcome Indigenous and non-Indigenous. Just before we get into uh, the music of Art Pepper and some other people for a while, here is the weather. Yes, of course, a regular feature. <laughs> we always do the weather for you. And uh, it's, it's going to be okay this week. I mean, nothing nothing great, but uh, okay. Today was, uh, was quite beautiful. Um, tonight is um, partly cloudy, and some fog patches are going to happen overnight with a low of 11. And tomorrow is going to be a mix of sun and cloud, and the fog patches are going to clear up in the morning. Low of 11, highs between 20 and 25. So that's kind of nice. Uh, Wednesday is going to be cloudy with a 30% chance of a shower. So, uh, you know, not too bad. That's a little bit chancy, but there you go. Low of 13, high of 20 for Wednesday. Cloudy with a 60% chance of shower. A little more on Thursday, low of 14, high of 17. And uh, Friday's a mix of sun and cloud with a 30% chance of a shower. A low of 14, high of 20. Then the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, is a mix of sun and cloud with lows between 13 and 15 and highs between 24 and 25, getting into the tropical temperatures. We'd like to, of course, um, 
acknowledge all our friends south of the border. They're having a holiday today, Memorial Day, which is a, a day to remember all the veterans that have fought for freedom and uh, for America and, uh, of course, this whole continent as well. So there you go. Sacrifice their lives to uh, preserve all the things that we take for granted, actually. Art Pepper, one of the great voices of the alto saxophone. This is a great track. This is Art on alto saxophone with George Cables on piano, David Williams on bass, a very fine bass player from Trinidad. That's right. And uh, one of Art's favorite musicians. And on drums, the magnificent Elvin Jones. And uh, this is a composition, one of my favorite compositions by Art. He wrote this tune when he was uh, incarcerated for so many years. Art, of course, had a history with, uh, with uh, drugs, and he was busted many times, spent a lot of time behind bars. And um, he wrote this tune. Um, I'm not going to tell you the whole story of why. This is just a great piece of music. It's called The Trip. And as I said, one of my favorite Art Pepper compositions. Here we go.
We heard a trio of tunes, and we began with uh, the great late Art Pepper, one of the masters of the alto saxophone, with um, a composition of his called The Trip, and uh, it's from the album of the same name. Art Pepper on alto with George Cables on piano and David Williams on bass and the great Elvin Jones on drums, recorded in 1976. And this is an alternate take, a longer take that we heard um, of this uh, composition, one of my favorites by Art Pepper. And uh, the second tune we played was from the volatile (laughs) Charles Mingus. But this time he wasn't playing bass. He was uh, doing all the yelling and chanting and all that sort of stuff and playing the piano. And uh, this was a special band that he had together in 1961 where he was uh, featuring himself more on piano than anything else. And uh, Doug Watkins uh, had the unenviable job of playing bass in Mingus's band and, of course, Danny Richmond on drums. And the three horns dominated the first uh, by Rossan Roland Kirk on all of his horns. Uh, Booker Irvin was on uh, tenor saxophone, and Jimmy Nipper on trombone. So they formed a very unique ensemble. The piece of music was called the Hog Callin' Blues, and it was just down and dirty and uh, and bluesy. And uh, Charles Mingus, from his album, famous album called Oh Yeah, where he, uh, as I said, he, he sings a bit on the album, plays piano, and uh, there's a whole bunch of really neat compositions on that uh, album. The only um, album recorded with that particular edition of the Jazz Workshop. Oh, yeah, on Atlantic Records. Then we ended the set with McCoy Tyner and uh, a special band put together by um, pianist McCoy Tyner with Thad Jones on trumpet, the great Thad Jones, and Frank Strozier on alto saxophone, another one of my favorites. John Gilmore on tenor saxophone, who um, spent most of his time with the uh, Sun Ra Orchestra, and a great player who was an influence on John Coltrane. Butch Warren on bass, and some incredible drumming once again by the redoubtable Elvin Jones. And that was a McCoy Tyner composition called Contemporary Focus. And it's from uh, an album by uh, McCoy, uh, released on Impulse Records, recorded in February of 1964. And um, the album is called Today and Tomorrow, and it features uh, uh, three tracks by that uh, ensemble. And uh, the album is filled out by some great trio tracks from uh, an earlier uh, session. Today and Tomorrow, McCoy Tyner, a good album to get hold of if you've never heard it. We're going to continue now with a long piece of music. It actually is, we go back to Charles Mingus, but this, is, uh, this was recorded after Charles Mingus had passed away. And this is Mingus's last working band, and it was a great band as well. And this piece of music was recorded by Mingus, uh, he was ill, uh, beginnings of uh, ALS was beginning to kick in, but he was still capable of playing. And he recorded this piece of music, maybe his last great composition, uh, for Atlantic Records. 
and um, with his band uh, augmented by a whole bunch of other people. And it's a it's a good version of the tune. I mean, it's an excellent, excellent uh, uh, album. And it's called Cumbia and Jazz Fusion. But this is the way it sounded uh, when the band was playing it live. Mingus was touring with this quintet of musicians, and this is the way it sounded, uh, the way they played it every night in a club. And Danny Richmond, this was a few months after Mingus had passed away, Mingus's main man, Danny Richmond, decided to go into the recording studio and record this uh, as a tribute to Mingus and as a tribute to how this band actually played this um, piece of music because the Atlantic record uh, performance was a little bit overproduced, and this is kind of the real deal. So what we're going to hear is the version of Cumbia and Jazz Fusion, and the band is led by drummer Danny Richmond. Danny, of course, uh, playing drums with Ricky Ford on tenor saxophone and my good friend Jack Walrath on trumpet, Bob Nellums on piano, and, of course, taking the place of Charles Mingus on bass, the great Cameron Brown does a wonderful job on bass. So this is how this composition really sounded when you heard it in a, in a club played by the um, last edition of the Mingus Jazz Workshop. So here, then, is Cumbia and Jazz Fusion. Hope you enjoy it.
That was the full version of one of Charles Mingus's last great compositions called Cumbia and Jazz Fusion. And as I mentioned before, Mingus recorded this album, or recorded the, that uh, piece of music on uh, his own album with added horns and a whole bunch of uh, extra stuff. But this is the way his working band played the tune um, as they sounded in concerts and clubs um, every night. And so Danny Richmond, the Mingus's main man and drummer, um, after Mingus had passed away, decided to uh, um, bring Mingus's last working band into the studio and record this album and record especially this composition. So this was a version of Cumbia and Jazz Fusion. Danny Richmond on drums, leading the band. Ricky Ford on tenor saxophone. Jack Walrath on trumpet. Bob Nellums on piano. And taking Mingus's place on bass, the great Cameron Brown. And that was Cumbia and Jazz Fusion. And this is from a wonderful album uh, called The Danny Richmond Quintet, The Last Mingus Band, A.D. Anno Domini. All right. We've got one more piece of music to play for you this evening before we say goodnight. And uh, it's by trumpeter Donald Byrd. This is one of his um, earliest albums. And this was recorded when he just moved to New York City and recorded this album for Savoy Records in uh, late September of 1955. And Donald Byrd was just a young man. Of course, he went on to... uh, uh, go to school in New York, continue. He was one of the most widely recorded trumpet players, but he was very busy as well, and he was going to school, and he eventually got his doctorate, and of course went on to uh, a great career in, in jazz and, and uh, related forms of music, and Donald Byrd was really one of the um, great uh, voices of the trumpet in the 50s and, and 60s. So this is an early album with uh, Donald on trumpet, Frank Foster, one of my favorite tenor saxophonists, and um, taking a break from the Basie Band. He was there for about 10 years. But what a great player, especially in those early days. And uh, I think Frank Foster and Sonny Rollins were really the, mo- the top players in the 50s. This was before John Coltrane had arrived. And um, those two guys, Frank Foster and Sonny Rollins, were really the most promising young tenor players in New York. Hank Jones is on piano, Paul Chambers on bass, he was still a teenager then, and Kenny Clark on drums. We're going to hear two tunes to close the set. The first one is a standard tune called If I Love Again, and the second tune was written by Frank Foster, and it's called Winter Set. It has two different titles. It was also called John Foster Dulles. Um, he was a, a U.S. politician, <laughs> so with the same name, uh, yeah, his middle name was Foster. Frank Foster's surname is Foster. You know, anyway, whatever. These two tunes from this album called Bird's Word. We're going to close the evening with uh, those two. Right now.
two pieces by trumpeter Donald Byrd from one of his earliest albums when he first got to New York from uh, tr- from uh, Detroit and uh, was recorded for Savoy Records and was called Bird's Word was the name of the album. And we heard two tunes. The Standard opened the set uh, called If I Love Again. And we moved to uh, an original composition by tenor saxophonist Frank Foster called Winter Set. And uh, the personnel in the band, Donald Byrd on trumpet, Frank Foster on tenor saxophone, Hank Jones on piano, Paul Chambers on bass, and the great Kenny Clark on drums. And so concludes another edition of The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. We'll be back next week, seven days' time. And as I mentioned before, um, I do believe that we will be doing our annual jazz festival program. And uh, my guest, uh, who will essentially take over the show um, and present uh, all kinds of things from uh, the festival, will be the redoubtable John Orsick, who is the publicity director for the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society and a worthy representative from the Jazz Festival. So we certainly hope that uh, John will be able to make it next week, and uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed. All right, thank you very much for being out there on behalf of uh, The Jazz Show and myself, Gavin Walker, and we'll see you in seven days' time. So do take care, and... uh, Yeah, the weather's going to be pretty nice this week, so enjoy it, and and, uh, hopefully um, it will get even better. There you go. Bye-bye. Do-ba-dee-oo-doo-wee Ba-do-ba-dee-oo-doo-wee